0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of killing and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: In March 1933, 28-year-old Gareth Jones boarded a train heading from Moscow to the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv. Almost as soon as he sat down, a man next to him began an impassioned rant.
0: Ukraine was under Soviet control at the time, and his fellow passenger was a staunch supporter of the ruling Communist Party. The man was outraged after reading a foreign news article claiming that people were starving throughout the Soviet Union and that it was Joseph Stalin's fault.
1: Gareth remained quiet. He didn't know how to tell his seatmate that he'd written that article and many more like it. In fact, he dedicated his entire career to exposing
0: the brutality of Stalin's regime. The reporter tried to ignore the verbose communist... He busied himself by cleaning out his bag and tossed a wad of stale bread into a nearby garbage bin. Within seconds, another passenger popped out from behind the bin. He plunged his arm into the garbage and devoured the bread.
1: The communists shrugged. So Gareth did the same thing, this time with the peel of an orange. Not the fruit, just the leftover rind. And like clockwork, another peasant rushed over and scarfed it down. Finally, Gareth's seatmate grew quiet.
0: This anecdote would serve as an introduction to one of the 21 articles published by the Welsh journalist Gareth Jones during his investigation into the Holodomor, also known as the Great Famine. In
1: 1933, Gareth took a long trip through the Ukrainian countryside he saw first-hand proof of the starvation and desperation that his train companion so confidently denied, and shared the truth with the world.
0: Little did Gareth know, the intrepid spark that made him a great reporter would also make him plenty of enemies. Eventually, it would also get him killed.
1: This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
0: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
1: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: This is our one-part episode on Gareth Jones, a young journalist who died of mysterious causes after exposing multiple atrocities committed by the Soviet government in the early 1930s.
2: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all.
0: Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: Gareth Jones was born on August 13th, 1905, in Barrie, Wales. From a young age, he was captivated by tales of heroic journeys and adventure. On an average day, you'd likely find six-year-old Gareth down by the docks of the small port town, listening to the sailors who'd just returned from the choppy
3: seas. Is that Mr. Jones I spy? Yeah, you're just in time. Take a seat. Come now, you brunts, make room. This one is just about to get good. So... It must have been our fourth night out when I was flung from my bunk and woke up face first on the floor. And before I knew it, I was flung back in the other direction, twice as hard. Lads, we were stuck in a storm the likes of which I'd never seen, and land was more than two days away.
0: But there was no storyteller who could grip young Gareth's attention quite like his mother, Annie Gwen Jones. Six years before Gareth was born... Ms. Jones traveled to Russia and spent three years tutoring the grandchildren of a Soviet businessman.
1: Although her stories had no sea monsters or tidal waves, Gareth was enamored by his mother's tales of the lush Russian countryside.
3: I went for a stroll in the afternoon to get my first ideas of the city. I wanted to see the countryside for myself. The strangeness of the inhabitants, the beauty of the buildings and the park, the peculiarly paved streets I had been reading about for so many years, it all enchanted me. I was supposed to be gone for no longer than twenty minutes, but I couldn't help but stay out until daybreak.
0: And Annie Gwen Jones wasn't the only one fostering Gareth's curious and intellectual side. His father, Edgar, was the headmaster of a local school where Gareth studied as a child.
1: With this intellectual upbringing, it was no surprise that in 1922, 17-year-old Gareth was awarded a scholarship to study language at the local university. He wanted to focus on Russian so that he might be able to one day follow in his mother's footsteps.
0: By the end of his first year, he'd won numerous academic awards and prizes. He was also becoming a prominent contributor to the school newspaper. Then in 1923 he got his first taste of travel when he went to study abroad at the University of Strasbourg, right on the border between Germany and France.
1: This was a pivotal moment for young Gareth, as it showed him that it was one thing to study language and culture, but another thing entirely to experience it. He graduated in 1926 with first-class honors and decided to continue his education in French, German, and Russian at Cambridge.
0: As his first year came to a close, Gareth was chomping at the bit to travel again. He yearned for an experience that would bring him closer to the heart of his studies, Eastern European languages and culture. So he made plans to travel to Riga, the capital city of Latvia.
1: When he arrived, he was immediately struck by the dilapidated nature of the city. All around him were the signs of a brutal power struggle. In 1918, the Latvians began rebelling against Russian and German troops for control over their land. It ended in 1920 with a peace treaty, but the damage was irreversible. He carried his diary everywhere and took notes on all he saw.
4: Everywhere you look, there are scores of tiny, dirty wooden houses and ramshackle buildings. Everything in the streets seems so neglected. No proper gutters, either.
0: But this in no way dissuaded Gareth. In fact, this was exactly the sort of culture shock he craved. He wasn't looking for lavish beaches or gorgeous steeples. He wanted adventure.
1: Luckily, Gareth was able to find a decent living situation while in Latvia. He stayed with a wealthy Russian family. In exchange for his help around the house, they'd keep Gareth up to date with current events in their home country.
0: Gareth was so troubled by what his hosts had to tell him that he wrote a letter back home to relay his concerns.
4: I'm terribly concerned for the state of Russia leaders are calling on all citizens to arm themselves. It sounds like utter panic. Here in Riga, things are calm, but the political decisions of the communist leaders seem as though they could have disastrous outcomes, and I'd be surprised if there wasn't some sort of uprising sometime soon." Gareth's
1: observations proved to be quite astute. Russia was experiencing an uprising sparked by Joseph Stalin's rise to power. Stalin wanted to have complete control over agriculture and business and forced the peasant class to give up any land they owned and rely on state-controlled
0: farms. The switch to centralized farming was ineffective. That year's grain harvest yielded 60% less than was expected, and the peasants were getting angry.
1: As far as Gareth was concerned, disaster was looming not far behind.
0: Gareth returned after his summer in Latvia and promptly finished his last two years at Cambridge. With each passing semester, his interest in Eastern Europe grew more intense.
1: Taking note of his natural talent for languages and his inquisitive nature, one professor urged him to pursue a career in journalism. Gareth did not take the suggestion lightly, and in 1929, he accepted a month-long internship at The Times, one of London's largest newspapers.
0: His trial run only lasted until September, but that was more than enough time to solidify his goal of becoming a foreign correspondent. As he left college, he felt it was now his turn to tell the sort of stories that had gripped him as a young boy.
1: But just as Gareth was preparing to enter the news business, his course was redirected. Former Prime Minister David Lloyd George asked Gareth to be his foreign affairs advisor and prepare speeches, gather information, and accompany him
0: abroad. Gareth recognized this as a tremendous opportunity and accepted immediately. His first assignment had to do with the Soviet Union.
1: He was directed to bring the former Prime Minister up to date on a new set of policies that Stalin had just enacted to boost the Soviet economy. Gareth conducted an initial round of interviews with Soviet diplomats stationed in London, and he was devastated to discover that Stalin's new initiative was terrorizing the country.
0: Many were shocked to hear what was really happening in the USSR. However, while Gareth found it depressing, He was not surprised. He had seen what Soviet rule had done to Latvia firsthand.
3: The standard of life in Russia has been decimated so the government can focus on industry. They have taken everything from the farmers, the people, so they can hoard money for their factory machinery and exports. Only children are allowed milk. Adults are allowed two eggs per week. Airplanes and soldiers were constantly on call to crush any revolt attempts, of which there were many. This plan has only been in effect for a short amount of time, and
1: the death toll is already soaring. Gareth's mind immediately went back to his mother's stories of traveling the Russian countryside. She spoke about how the bridge between the upper and lower class was unimaginably big.
0: When she'd seen it, Russia was still under imperial rule, and this divide was between the czars and the peasants, Now it was between the communist elite and just about everyone else living in the Soviet Union.
1: Gareth scribbled down every heartbreaking detail and statistic and tried to make sense of the fire that grew inside of him. He feared that the country he'd longed to explore since his youth would collapse at any
0: moment. It was then and there that he resolved to take action. The very next day, he obtained a visa, and in August of 1930, Gareth Jones followed in his mother's footsteps and journeyed to the Soviet Union.
1: Coming up, Gareth sees the tragic state of 1930s Russia for himself.
3: Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Podcast, answers.
4: The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories.
3: At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands. They saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Anne Bonnie, and Mary Read. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify.
1: And now, back to the story. In
0: 1930, after years enthralled by his mother's stories of Russia, 25-year-old Gareth Jones was finally going to see it for himself. He traveled to the Ukrainian city of Husavka, the very city his mother had told him about.
1: And he set his sights beyond the small city as well, He used the vast railway systems in Russia to get to Moscow, where he met with dignitaries to assess the situation.
0: Gareth also gathered plenty of information for his own journalistic endeavors, but he generally kept those secret.
1: He knew that the Russian government screened all outgoing mail. Anyone caught circulating anti-Soviet sentiment would be fiercely persecuted. While it was verboten to kill traveling foreigners, especially ones with ties to the British Parliament, it certainly wasn't impossible. So Gareth played it safe.
0: However, once he was safely out of the USSR, he wrote a letter to his family back in Wales on August 20th, 1930.
4: Russia is in disarray. There is only bread. The only meat, fruit, or vegetable available is rotten. The oppression, injustice, and misery among the working class is palpable everywhere. The winter is going to be one of great suffering and starvation, as the farms have been ravaged by poverty. The Soviet government is the most brutal in the world. I say this without hesitation. For good reason, the peasants hate the communists, and there is no resolution in sight.
1: In the year that followed his first excursion to the Soviet Republic, he published a series of articles that outline the economic and social injustices that were taking place there.
0: One of these pieces was published in the London-based newspaper The Times, entitled Two Russias. The piece outlined just how wide the bridge between the ruling class and the ruled had become in Russia.
1: The wealthy and powerful were happier than ever while just about everyone else was suffering. This was all due to Stalin's singular plans to turn Russia into an industrial superpower. However, as Gareth quickly found out, things were not going smoothly.
0: There simply weren't enough skilled laborers in the country to support this audacious new initiative. Only making matters worse, all of the government's money was going to machinery with none allocated to training the workers.
1: And the factories weren't the only place where Gareth saw issues. Russia's railways were poorly maintained, which meant that the coal required to keep these new factories running was constantly delayed.
0: Much of this information was concealed by the government, and this only made matters worse. This left the upper class thinking these failures were the fault of the workers, when in reality, they were just victims of a flawed system. And hundreds of these same workers were not just blamed, but also executed.
1: Out of fear of persecution, Gareth Jones chose to publish the articles he wrote during this trip anonymously.
0: He returned to Britain in 1932 and rejoined David Lloyd George's staff. But just as he was settling into a comfortable office life, his boss received a memo from London. It was regarding the agricultural state of affairs in the USSR. Something that Gareth was quite familiar with at this point.
1: His reporting had drummed up quite a stir and caused a few British agencies to start poking around.
0: Sure enough, after a lengthy tour through the USSR, a government agent from the United Kingdom compiled a document stating that peasants in the Ukraine were quickly approaching a state of all out famine.
1: On top of everything that Gareth witnessed during his last tour of the USSR, The Communist Party was now seizing grains produced by the collective farms and distributing them to Russia's major cities. That left the peasantry with even less than they had previously.
0: With more ambition than ever before, Gareth planned a second visit to the USSR. He was well aware that this would be his last he was about to embark on a journalistic endeavor that would ensure the Russian government would never allow him into Soviet territory again.
1: On March 4, 1933, 28 year old Gareth Jones arrived in the Soviet Union. Only this time, it was different. He wasn't setting out to discover, to learn, to investigate, he was there to prove something.
0: The memo he saw in the former prime minister's office proved that Gareth's worst fears for the future of Russia had come true. Famine was ravaging the countryside. Brave as ever, Gareth set out to write his most scathing and revealing articles thus far.
1: But it wouldn't be easy. He was already known by the Soviet government for previous pieces that slandered the communist regime. So he tried to go about his work as covertly as possible... On March 7th, on his third day in Russia, he sent a postcard to his family back in Wales.
4: Hello to my loving family. Just wanted to give word that I have just returned from Moscow and am having a splendid time here in Kharkiv. I'm staying with a tremendously kind German government official who has allowed me to stay with him and show me the city. Tomorrow we have plans to go to the opera and on Thursday we shall take a high-speed train all around the Ukraine. What a joy this trip has been.
1: The details in Gareth's postcard were factually accurate. He did spend a few nights in Moscow and he did purchase a train ticket to Kharkiv, but he also knew Soviet officials would be screening his mail. He left the most important details of his plan unwritten.
0: He didn't want the officials to know he'd be exiting the train long before it arrived in Kharkiv nor that he intended to walk 40 miles along the Ukrainian countryside, witnessing the famine for himself, interviewing the starving peasants to get the real story about what Stalin's policies had done to the Soviet Union's working class.
1: Over the next two weeks, Gareth Jones visited numerous villages on foot and slept in the huts of those kind enough to house him for the night. The conditions were harsh. But he recognized that he had the privilege of returning back home once his work was done. The people he interviewed had no escape.
0: Gareth knew things were bad, but it only took that first train ride for him to see just how dire the situation had become. Peasants aboard the train were fighting over small scraps of food right in front of him.
1: Meanwhile, the upper-crust communists he interacted with denied that there was any sort of famine going on. It was as if Gareth found himself plunged into a piece of satire, critiquing the state of Russian affairs, but he wasn't laughing.
0: Once Gareth departed the train, things only became more bleak. He trudged through snowy fields, and upon encountering his first village, was greeted by a group of children with swollen abdomens, a key indicator of starvation. They led him to the village matriarch, who allowed him to stay in her hut, which already housed nine others.
1: He began his interviews.
4: Do you see any chance of conditions improving? Do you feel as though the government is making efforts to remediate the situation?
0: In a year's time, things will only worsen, tenfold. There is no bread, our children are all swollen, even our horses are dying. And without horses, how can we plow? How can we sow for the next harvest? And with no
4: harvest, death is the only thing any of us can see in the near future.
0: As Gareth's journey continued, he was shocked at the unanimity amongst everyone he spoke to. No one saw an end in sight. And the death toll was completely unmanageable. Gareth did not visit a single village that hadn't experienced mass casualties as a result of famine or famine related sickness.
1: Even as he neared larger cities, he found that factory workers were rapidly approaching the same fate as their rural counterparts. I know the peasants have no food, but
3: we hardly have any. It's terrible. I get two pounds worth of rotten bread a day.
0: No meat, no eggs, no butter. I haven't had meat in a year! It is not enough to live on! And that was just what was afforded to those lucky enough to keep their jobs. The thousands of laborers who were dismissed from factories across the USSR were often banished from the city and were stripped of their basic privileges.
1: We are treated like cattle. We were told to leave the city and they took our bread card. But how can we live? I used
3: to receive bread from my family, but now, in the countryside, we have nothing.
1: But what affected Gareth most profoundly were the children. He encountered hundreds of them, often in groups, searching the streets for any form of sustenance.
4: With the foulest of rags and the most depraved of faces, they hover about. They wander about the streets of the towns, I have seen some being captured by the police and taken away.
0: On March 29th, Gareth Jones brought his grueling expedition to a close and set sights for Berlin. There, he called a press conference and shared his findings. It sent shockwaves throughout the world. Media outlets in America, Germany, and France were eager to cover his harrowing journey through famine-stricken Ukraine.
1: But Gareth had his own reporting to do. Over the next three weeks, he published 21 articles across four different British publications.
0: Gareth was well aware that after exposing the famine and criticizing Stalin's regime so vocally, he would never again be granted access to the USSR. Fittingly, his last article in this series was entitled Goodbye, Russia, an in-depth exploration and inspection of Gareth's conflicted relationship with the Soviet Union. It was published by the Daily Express on April 11, 1933. The internationalism of the Russian
4: people used to impress me. They set aside all petty prejudices between races. They abhorred pogrom. They gave rights to the smaller nations to speak their own languages. They were not guilty of the narrow nationalisms of post-war days. Then, I went to Stalin's Russia.
1: He used this final dissertation as an opportunity to both acknowledge and dismiss his early obsession with Russia. It was one final nod to the Russia he had come to know and love through the stories of his mother and the reckoning of the Soviet reality he discovered as an adult. Coming up, Gareth leaves the USSR behind and meets an untimely fate. And now, back to the story.
0: With Russia in the rear-view mirror, 28-year-old Gareth Jones struggled to find a path for his future. So much of his life leading up to this point was predicated on a love for the country. But in 1933, he needed a new muse—
1: He turned his attention to the Far East. Through his years of working in foreign affairs, he was aware of Japan's plans to expand into China and Mongolia and the ensuing conflict between the two nations.
0: This prompted him to set out on what Gareth referred to as a round-the-world fact-finding tour. He departed Britain in 1934 and spent six weeks in Japan interviewing politicians and military officers.
1: Then he made his way to Beijing. There, 29-year-old Gareth Jones met Dr. Herbert Muller, a mutual friend and fellow journalist. Muller was a German citizen who'd been living in China for years and primarily covered the area for German newspapers.
4: So, I hear you know your way around Mongolia? After 20 years here, I'd say so. Perfect. You would make one hell of a travel buddy if you're up for it. Mr. Jones,
3: all I'll say is that your reputation precedes you, and it travels far outside this city, all the way up into the hills of Manchukuo. A man with curiosities like yours ought to be a little careful with how ambitious he gets.
4: Well, if my reputation precedes me, then you should know I've survived an awful lot, and the safety afforded to a foreign diplomat cannot be overstated, as I'm sure you've experienced yourself. So come on! Enough with the worry. Mm, Cheers.
0: Muller agreed to help Gareth travel into Mongolia. It would be the first time he traveled with another foreigner, and the first time either had ventured into the newly settled Manchukuo territory, which was off-limits to Westerners.
1: The area had recently been infiltrated by Japanese expansionists, and tensions were high between the troops and locals... During the pair's first day of travel, they were apprehended by Japanese troops.
4: Please, sir, we mean no trouble.
3: Then you should not have entered this territory. If you just let us on our way, we can- We know better than to trust Westerners. You'll stay with us tonight. Tomorrow you may venture on, but just know you'd better keep your wits about you. He's right, that's bandit territory.
0: Muller's prediction proved to be all too prescient. That next day, their vehicle was stopped and raided by a group of thieves. Gareth and Muller were robbed at gunpoint and kidnapped. The bandits then wired a message to the German consulate. We have
3: two men. One of them belongs to you. They're both reporters, Herbert Muller and Gareth Jones. If you want to see either of them alive and back on European soil, we demand 200 of your finest firearms and 100,000 yuan.
1: Two days later, Muller was released back into German custody to help arrange for the ransom to be paid. Then, on August 1st, 1935, Gareth's father received a telegram from the kidnappers.
2: My goodness, what is it?
4: It's... A telegram. It's about Gareth.
2: Oh, please. Please tell me he's all right.
4: It says, well-treated. Expect release soon. Nothing else.
0: Oh, we're getting our boy back. Oh, thank heavens. We are getting our Gareth back. (laughs) But things weren't quite so easy. On August 5th, the kidnappers transported Gareth to a second location outside Montruquo. Then three days later, he was put into the hands of a separate group of criminals.
1: Both the Chinese and Japanese government tried to get in touch with the new kidnappers, but they were even less cooperative.
0: Then on August 17, 1935, it was reported that Chinese authorities found the body of Gareth Jones with three bullet wounds in his chest. It was later discovered that he'd been dead for five days and was likely murdered just one day shy of his 30th birthday.
1: Although very little is known about the specifics of Gareth's kidnapping and subsequent murder, many believe that the Soviets played a hand in it. In the months before his death, he was surrounded by people who were later revealed to have Soviet allegiances.
0: Before his trip to Mongolia, Gareth stayed in Tokyo at the home of German journalist Gunther Stein. Stein worked for a newspaper that was not only revealed to have communist sympathies, but had multiple Soviet spies on staff. Only a few weeks after Gareth left Stein's apartment, another guest stayed there, Richard Sorge, a Soviet master spy.
1: Later... Sorga and Stein were rumored to have been part of the same spy ring and close accomplices. Many believe that this was no coincidence, and that the two were not only tracking Gareth's activities, but may have tipped off the bandits who eventually took his life.
0: In addition, public documents released in 2005 suggest that Dr. Mueller, Gareth's travel companion in Asia, was a known communist and a Chinese representative of the Soviet Union.
1: As researchers began digging into Müller's background, it seemed more and more likely that he played a role in Gareth's death.
0: An MI5 dossier on the incident states that the vehicle that Gareth and Müller were driving in when they were first apprehended by the bandits was lent to Müller by a German company called Vostvog a confirmed trading front for Soviet intelligence.
1: Also worth noting, Mueller was released after only two days, while Gareth remained in captivity for more than two weeks. Many believe this points to Mueller's involvement with the kidnapping, and some speculate that he had been in cahoots with the bandits the whole time.
0: With this in mind, I do believe that the Soviet Union was responsible for the murder of Gareth Jones. No other journalist dedicated their career to exposing the many injustices of the Communist Party quite like Gareth did. And if it wasn't for his connections to British Parliament, they likely would have killed him much sooner.
1: While I agree that the Soviets wanted him dead, I feel like the evidence isn't substantial enough to implicate the Soviet Union here. It's a compelling theory but it seems equally plausible that this was just a kidnapping gone awry.
0: Regardless of what forces led the young journalist's life to come to an end, it was a tragic loss for the world as a whole.
1: Luckily, his legacy hasn't been forgotten. A plaque was unveiled in Gareth's memory at his former college, Abereswith University in Wales. At the ceremony, he was referred to as the unsung hero of the Ukraine.
0: Gareth Jones' intrepid spirit is what made his life and career so profoundly impactful and what ultimately led to his death. And tragic as it may have been, it is fitting that his life came to an end in the most Gareth Jones way imaginable. Not at a desk or behind a typewriter, not in a hospital bed, slowly fading away, but in the depths of a foreign land, laying it all on the line to uncover the truth and tell a story that no one else was willing to tell.
1: Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. For more information amongst the many sources we used, we found Gareth Jones' Eyewitness to the Holodomor by Ray Gamash to be extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: If we live till next time.
1: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Spencer Fox, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Joe Hernandez, Drew Lawn, Cameron Nicod, and Rebecca Thomas. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy
3: McKenzie and Carter Roy. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parkast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.